Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings. How are you today? It is Lisa Edwards, your exclusive career coach. I hope you're having a fantastic beginning of your year. And I'm excited as as part of my new year, I have a guest who's going to hang out with me on a lot of these podcasts and just kind of be the voice of the 22 to 32 year old asking the kind of questions that I think you guys would ask if you were in my podcast closet, which as I have previously told you is my actual closet. So hanging out in the closet with me today is Kat Madrano and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Hey everybody, my name is Kat Madrano. I'm Super happy to be here, and I got very excited when Lisa told me that she was looking for some guests to have on her podcast, so I'm excited to hang out with you guys and be that voice. Um, I am a fairly recent graduate. I I would like to think that, but in reality, I've been out of college for almost a decade now, but I've been on that entrepreneur's journey. Um, My focus is on holistic health coaching and specifically talking about self-care and how that contributes to the things that we want to achieve in our lives and basically creating more of an authentic um, position for ourselves out in the work field. Well, and that's something we'll definitely want to talk about when you're, you're an actual like guest, you know, presenter on the podcast, uh, because that's an area that, that, that my people need to hear about as well. So you graduated about a decade ago with a degree in what? I got my degree in food and nutrition from Florida State University. Go, Go Knowles! <laughs> <laughs> and shortly after that, I stumbled across this online program for holistic health coaches. And I looked into that because there were a lot of featured teachers that I've heard of before, like Deepak Chopra, Gabby Bernstein, people who are well known in like the spiritual and holistic wellness type of fields. So I enrolled in that program. I want to say it was about um, a year and a half, something like that, not too long, but that really set me on that journey of becoming a holistic health coach and veering away from just focusing on food and nutrition, because even though those play an important role in our lives, there's so much more and what we do in our everyday lives, how we deal with stress, our work environment, relationships, has a big impact on our overall health as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Things that are near and dear to my heart. So as you guys know, if you've been listening, this whole quarter is about leadership and various aspects. I'm coming at it from a lot of different angles. And today I want to talk about speaking with leadership authority. So what I want to kind of set the stage with is that a really important part of your leadership presence is that kind of way that you show up. And, and we've talked about physical, right? So we've, uh, in fact, I've got a, a guest speaker that has, uh, we've already recorded the podcast that's going to come out in March, where we talk about dressing as a leader. We've, we've done other episodes where we've addressed the kind of physical appearance. A big piece of this is how you speak and how you show up when you are speaking. And this applies whether it's one-on-one or whether you're speaking to a group. So I've got some tips for you, and um, as I've asked Kat, I just want her to kind of be, you know, you guys. I want her to ask the questions or make the comments that that you guys would would want to know or ask the questions um, just as if you were in here in the closet with us. So the first one I want to talk about is a big one. 
And I have to tell you, this is one I have become super aware of since I started podcasting, and that is the infamous, ubiquitous, um, um, <laughs> er, guys, 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 guys. Um, I have to tell you a story about, I was in a podcast, or not a podcast, a webinar recently. This has been three or four months ago. And the gentleman who was going to speak to us, I happened to know he was a huge ummer. And so I got my pencil out. And I started making tick marks on how many times he said, um, in his, I think he was on about 12 minutes, 76 ums in 12 minutes. You do the math on how many ums I had to listen to every minute. And it was so, I could not begin to tell you what he spoke about it on that day because, right, <laughs> no I was way. so distracted by the ums and it was, it's just so distracting. So... In the moment, it's really hard not to say that when you gather your thoughts. So I want to give you some alternatives of vocal pauses that allow you to kind of gather your thoughts. But if you'll notice, and I'm going to try to, <laughs> I, I'll probably do twice as many ums because I'm trying <laughs> to talk about not doing them. But, but you'll notice that really good speakers, if you go and listen to any of the TED Talks, you're going to rarely hear an um or any kind of a distracting sound. Another one that happens sometimes with people is there's kind of that kind of clicking of the mouth oh, and yeah. it's just a it's a habit so what I want you to do is replace those words like um and uh with stronger filler words so when you need to gather your thoughts you could say something like now you see or however so uh, I was thinking rather than um so suddenly it sounds much more kind of definitive and powerful as opposed to um so it sounds intentional, and intention stills confidence. So yes. is that something that you have worked on in your in your speaking, is the ums? I would definitely say that, yes, that's something that has come up, and I think in instances similar to what you said. We go to a lot of conferences or presentations from other people. I know that you and I are both out in the community trying to attend workshops and things like that for our own knowledge and to support other people. And it can be so hard when you notice that yes. serial ummer or a lot of other people. I think I'm guilty of this a lot, but I'll say so, which is a step up kind right. of. But where you're coming from with your suggestions, what I really love about them is that you are basically verbalizing what's going on in your head yes. that sometimes we're covering up with the um and you're being really transparent about this is what I'm thinking about and here's now my thoughts. Exactly and, and as I said at the outset what has really helped me with my ums is doing this podcast because I have to edit them out and so I can be a lot lazier if I just don't say them in the first place and what's fascinating uh, for as a podcaster is that I can see my ums coming up. I can see vocal tics that I have. I can visually see that one is coming up. And when I work with other guests on my podcast, I rec begin to recognize what their vocal pauses look like because they look different than mine and I can see it coming up. So it's really interesting. And I think that's really what's helped me is not only am I hearing it, I can see them, which is weird. <laughs> but if you've ever recorded like we're doing right now on Audacity, I can see what my sounds all look like. So the first tip that we want to give you is to replace um with stronger filler words or no filler words whatsoever. So number two, I want you to know the power of silence. So people who are great speakers are unafraid of letting the room be silent for a minute. They can calmly kind of wait for a breath or two and feel really comfortable 
And if you've thought about some of the really good speakers you've heard, they've used those silences to their advantage. It's created suspense, created interest, created intrigue, whatever it is they're trying to put across because of that. So unintentional silence can be seen as a, as a sign of uncertainty. So there's just this weird, awkward, <laughs> and usually it accompanies your eyes are flirting around the room and you don't know what's going on. But intentional silence can be very dramatic and seen as kind of making something even more important. So instead of seeing moments of silence as a reason for concern in your own presentations, turn them into work for you by making your next statement much more po poignant. So use silence to kind of lean into your points and your audience will hear you much more clearly. And um, one of the things that I've learned about silence, I'm an extrovert, so extroverts typically aren't quite as comfortable with silence as the introverts are. And one of the things I learned when I went through my, my personality training with the Myers-Briggs was, was that thing about introverts being much more comfortable with silence and also that introverts aren't there they want to think about something before they speak it whereas us extroverts will just blurt it out we don't even know what's coming out of our own mouths and so when i ask a question when i'm presenting for a group i allow what i call a pregnant pause and and that silence uh, first of all that silence tells the audience that i actually want an answer from them i want a comment or a suggestion or whatever it is but it also gives those introverts time to catch up because my old MO went something like this. So does everybody, anybody have any questions? Okay, good. <laughs> and now, and I actually will talk them through it. I'll go, does anyone have any questions? And I'll wait. And if no one responds after several beats, I'll go, I'll tell them my story that I just told you about how I've learned the importance of waiting and allowing people to kind of think before they have a question for me. And so that has really helped engage the audience so much more because I'm sure you can think of a time when you've been in a, a, a group and someone has asked if you had any questions and then they didn't give you a nanosecond for an answer and you were like, I, I don't want to know what I think about this. So That's any an amazing tip. I really like that and it brought a couple of different examples to mind. Um, one of them, it kind of more on the entrepreneurial side of things. I believe I was playing around with Facebook Live or something of that sort one time, and I am very overwhelmed by being alive. It's kind of like, I think of it as like I'm opening my front door to the world, and I'm like, hey guys, you look are. at me, and you know, you're, you're just out there, yeah. all eyes on you. So it's a little bit scary. And I remember doing one, and I had watched other people's lives previously and watched things on Periscope, and I thought, wow, you know, that's so cool that they can jump on there and be really informative, and they've got people who are interacting with them. Mm -hmm. So when I jumped on, you know, you kind of almost expect the same type of results, but it can be more like crickets. There might be <laughs> one person in the room, maybe nobody has joined yet, and I would kind of pause. I would ask questions and pause, but then feel really nervous because either there wasn't anybody there to answer or there weren't that many people in the room, so I wasn't expecting right. an answer. But I think seeing the value in, like you said, that silence, it is a signal to the audience that, hey, now's your chance to give some input or ask some questions. And then you don't really overwhelm whoever the, the listeners and the viewers are and also with those things like Facebook Live, people can go back and re-watch them. So then you think of it that way and you're like, you're still providing value to those people. And so the other example I thought of, which is more recent, 
my daytime job is in retail management and I work in a cosmetics department and I'm responsible for a couple of associates and I remember one of my girls, she's awesome, she's so knowledgeable and I think where we're afraid to pause is when we're interacting with somebody else, it's a potential sale and we just want to keep spitting information at them mm -hmm. about the product. We want to tell them all the benefits and why they're going to love it. And I remembered standing to the side when she was doing this once and I was like, oh gosh, just stop. Just give her a minute to right. answer and respond. And, and just process what you're telling her because she yes. she can't, there's no place for all this to go because exactly. she doesn't have time. It's like digesting, like it's actually like digesting food. Like you have to have time <laughs> for for it to go down through all the pipes wherever right. it goes. Right. <laughs> she didn't have that. Yep. I've, I've had that experience and actually had a woman recently who wouldn't stop talking. And so the only way I could come up with was just like, if you would stop talking for a moment <laughs> and that didn't go over real well. So I'm just telling you, don't do that. All right. <laughs> Tip number three, do not make things complicated. So whether you're talking one-on-one -on -one to people or whether you're talking to a group, one of the things that can complicate the process the most quickly is industry specific terminology. So even if you're talking to someone who's in your industry it really is a turnoff for most people, and certainly if there's anybody who's not in your industry, to hear a bunch of jargon. You know, government is famous for this, um, but it, whatever your industry is, we all have jargon, we all have uh, acronyms and those kinds of things. So you want to make sure that you're using words that everyone will understand, and certainly when you're speaking in front of a group, because if the, the listeners have to think of it as they have to go into another room in their brain to process what you're saying to them. If you're giving acronyms or you're using insider sort of terminology, they have to kind of leave the room that you're speaking in for a moment, go into this other room so that their brain can make sense of what you've just said and then come back, which of course means they're gonna lose some content during that time. So you wanna keep them in the room and one of the ways to do that is to make sure that your language is universally understandable. So great speakers and people who carry themselves well in a one-on-one -on -one conversation know how to get right to the point. They don't dance around it. They don't use a lot of buzzwords. They say what needs to be said and leave it at that. So if your language leaves people confused, you're not going to impress them. You're just going to irritate them or frustrate them. And um, I have to, the, the, my favorite story about this was, when I went to a conference in Chicago a few years ago, there was one of the most miraculous speakers, his name was Thomas Blackwell, if, I'm, if I can remember correctly, who was selling a product called Infusionsoft. And I was so in his story, his story was so compelling to me that I immediately went to the back of the room and bought Infusionsoft, even though I didn't even know what I was buying. And it was actually a mistake. That's the postscript to this. I shouldn't have purchased it. I did not need that product. It was too much product for me. But I would have bought sand from this man in the Sahara Desert because he was so compelling. So what was interesting about that story was that there was nothing in that story about what Infusionsoft does for you and what it doesn't do and who it's for. It was all kind of his life story, and I was totally in that moment. So he really kept things simple. There was no complicated terminology or, you know, rhetoric in there or buzzwords. It was all just his personal kind of life story. I think that really provides a sense of relief for myself and for other people who are in that boat because it takes the pressure off of knowing everything 
and in all areas, especially when we are trying to be the expert on something, we think that we need to be able to recite everything off the tip of our tongues. For example, I teach a lot about essential oils, and I do it because I'm passionate about them, because I see a difference in my emotions and physical things that I'm dealing with, like, you know, joint pain and things like that. So I know that they work because of personal experience with them. But a lot of times I feel like I have to justify to certain people, especially if they're more science minded, I feel like I have to explain to them exactly how they work in order for them to see that, hey, this might be worth trying. So kind of, I don't want to say dumbing it down, but I was thinking about the books that are like Facebook for dummies. Right, right. It is a little bit of dumbing it down. And I think in the space that we operate in as entrepreneurs, I think what holds a lot of entrepreneurs back is that they think they do have to be an expert. And here's the thing, and this applies to you in whatever line of work you're in. You don't have to be the expert. You need to be about two steps further along the path, whatever the journey is, than the person that you are speaking to, selling to, persuading, whatever the case may be. So two steps along, you've got something to teach them, and, and you don't have to worry about whether you know it all or not. So that's number three, don't make things complicated. What's the KISS acronym? Keep it simple, stupid. All right, <laughs> or so, sexy. Or Oh, okay. I didn't know that one. <laughs> all right, number four, don't curse. So unless you've built a reputation around kind of an edgy persona that involves cursing, it's a really risky proposition. You will in an audience of any size or one-on-one where there's an audience of one, and if you lose it, guess what? You have no audience at all. It's a really risky proposition to, to talk about, you know, to use cuss words. So you want to keep the energy flow as positive as possible and there's really not much positive about curse words. And it's not to say that you may not have them in your vocabulary. It's just don't risk it by talking about them in a, in a, you know, in a group. So don't add in any extra variables that, that could get you into trouble is basically the short story here. So you don't have to necessarily keep it G-rated, but let's not go to R or certainly not to X. So <laughs> say what you need to say, um, you know, and then, and then you move on. So what I would say about this is that people who know me who listen to this podcast know that I have a potty mouth and uh, I can be quite liberal with that but I'm always very conscious you've never heard that here when I set this podcast up I set it up as for general audiences not that you know 10 year olds need a lot of you know career coaching but were they to be in the car with mom or dad as they were listening to this podcast we'd be fine I've never said one curse word in this podcast so I'm very aware of the fact that it's just not, there's no, there's no need for it in this kind of a podcast. It doesn't benefit me and it might be a detriment. So I've been aware of my audience and conscious of that. And that's, that's the decision that I've made. So that's kind of what I'm inviting you guys to do. That's a good one. I think that just knowing your audience at the end of the day is the key variable for that. I, as well as you, am not against using certain type of language in everyday life and with people that you know that that's not necessarily offensive to them, but until you kind of decide that maybe, you know, your type of audience responds well to more of that blunt, in-your-face, nitty-gritty, Tony Tony Robbins-style coaching, Uh then let's keep it professional 
And I think that you can put more of an emphasis on your ideas without having to resort to that. Yeah. There is one speaker that I found a while back on YouTube. He, I want to say he did life coaching type of stuff, but he was really motivating. But the one thing that turned me off was the fact that he would curse so much. And I felt it was unnecessary. And because of that, I didn't share his stuff with people as much yeah. as I would have liked to. Right. Well, even my coach, Brooke Castillo, on her podcast, she rarely says any kind of curse words. And if it is, it's a very light version of it. But she's she's like she she'll drop the f bomb in a, in a heartbeat. And so when I when I was in her coaching program and we were in a closed group with her where we were getting you know we paid for a coaching program that was that was kind of the real Brooke showing up. But she kind of G rated it for her podcast. So uh, don't curse. <laughs> That's the moral of that story. All right, my fifth tip. I want you to tell a story. So I've watched so many rooms turn. My example with Thomas Blackwell was a great example. He told the story of his life and his interaction really with the people who started Fusionsoft. It wasn't about, like I said, I bought it, didn't even know what I bought. But stories are how we relate to each other. So stories kind of ignite our imagination and our thoughts. They kind of turn kind of abstract concepts into reality. So whether you're explaining some data or you're hinting at the outcomes of a campaign. Whatever the case is, the more descriptive you can be, the better. So you want to use sensory words, touch, taste, hear, smell, and, and feel, uh, and sound to kind of communicate that message. Bring what you're talking to about, uh, talking about to life, and kind of let the people in the room be a part of it. Let the people in the room picture themselves in your story. They will relate to you and to the message that you're trying to give. And this applies to one-on-one -on -one as well as to groups. So a presentation, a speech, or you know, even a single sentence that has an element of a story in it can then become much more real. So I, I hope that you've noticed that I've done that throughout. So I made a point with each of my four previous points to give you a story relative to each of those points because I wanted to illustrate this point hopefully you picked up on that. Is that something you relate to as well, Kat? Is that kind of storytelling when you hear speakers? Yes. Um, I think that in the past, the most memorable speakers have been storytellers. They have been people who weren't necessarily focused on a product or a service that they sold. I think that you were at this conference actually a couple years ago, one of the uh, Women's Prosperity Network unconferences. Mm -hmm. And his name is totally escaping me right now. There was a man, oh my gosh, it's going to drive me crazy, but he had written a book. I remembered that I did get to interact with him, and I'm one of those people I don't really warm up right away. But by the time this conference was over, I loved him because he went up on the stage and he talked about the amazing service that he got from the staff and was naming names of people in the hotel. And to me, I was just like, wow. This is a really impressive person. This is somebody who pays attention, mm -hmm. and he's somebody that I'm going to give a lot of credibility and value to because he does not seem like he's in it for himself. He's not in it for the personal gain. And aside from that, when you're telling stories, there's more of that emotional connection. Yes. And we're driven by emotions. 
So when we can make that connection, you obviously had an emotional connection with the Infusion Soft Man because you <laughs> bought his product and didn't even know what it was going to do was for you. Do. Like, I don't know what it is, but I, I would have bought anything for this man. And he was like, and for an extra X amount of money, you get this, this, and this. I didn't even know what those things were either. I'm like, here, here's my check. I'm giving you all my money and, and, and we're going to all be happy. And I think that out of all of the tips that you gave, that this is kind of the cornerstone right here, because if we can perfect that ability to tell stories and work the other tips into it to be supportive. Mm -hmm. yes. I think that's going to be the most engaging way that we're able to speak professionally yes. and expand ourselves and become a more professional speaker. And again, this can be on a stage in front of a group of people, but it can also be in a boardroom with a bunch of, you know, board members or whoever you have to present to your boss, or it can be a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone that you need to persuade or convince of something. So I want to add a few things. That was, uh, I think that was Inc. Magazine. I think that's where those sources came from. I cited that at the beginning. But I've got some from Forbes Magazine. So I want to give you a couple of other things that Forbes wants to add to this. So get to the point. Your competition is the attention span. So think about it that way. What you're competing with is not necessarily another product or service or, or whatever the other idea is based on what you're telling them. It's their attention span. So if you are rambling and kind of unfocused in your speech, you're not going to get to the point quick enough and you're going to have a hard time keeping their attention. So you want to have short sentences, few asides, and really get to the point quickly. I think we've all had emails that we've received like this where it's like, for goodness sake, and I just got, I was laughing, actually, I was in the car with a friend last, we had gone to an event last night, and I had a, a, a voicemail message from someone that she and I both know, and I, so I wanted to listen to it, so as soon as we got in the car, and it went, I was halfway home before the, and I finally put it on speaker because I was like, I was just laughing so hard because it just went on and on and on and on and on and on and on. So get to the point. Next one, slow down and breathe. So this is interesting. So when PepsiCo's chief, and I'm going to hopefully pronouncing her name correctly, Indra Nooyi, when she first traveled from India to the U.S. to attend the Yale School of Management, so, you know, kind of a good school, kind of a good place to go to school, she spoke so fast that she barely paused to breathe. So she had to learn a more effective kind of slower pace because that commanded authority. Because if you think about it, if you're really just barreling through, it does not project authority. It does not project confidence. It projects, you know, I don't know, maybe the audience will leave if I don't hurry up and say all of this. Uh, I'm not sure what it does, but it's not good. So, uh, and I think this is interesting. So uh, broadcasters usually speak at a pace of 150 words per minute, which is a conversational yet metered kind of, length. So if that's something that you have issues with, then I would say I'm, I'm a big fan of recording yourself and listening to yourself back and kind of looking at, am I doing about 150 words a minute? This is such a great topic. And this was something that I thought of earlier when we discussed exactly what theme we were talking about today. And I wanted to ask your advice on, do you change the speed of your words, um, the inflections in your voice based on maybe the age group that you're talking to, whether somebody is a student versus a professional, how do you gauge what speed and the way that you speak to that person? And that's interesting because the next one is going to talk about kind of using your vocal tools. So we're going to kind of bring that together, the speed and the vocal tools. 
and I absolutely am very aware of my audience and I'm watching for nonverbal cues. The best example I can give of this is back when I was in higher education, so I, you've heard me talk about being the director of a career center at a university. And so this wasn't the counseling center, but, but nonetheless, I would have students from time to time who clearly needed to be in the counseling center. They were in a crisis of maybe they were being forced to make a major decision. And, and what I mean by that is a decision about their major, which is a major decision. <laughs> but they were kind of, the, you know, the, the advisor had said, you got to do it today. Or um, I think my the, the example that sticks out the most for me is I had a client who came in and she was she was suicidal. And I, so I'm not going to be, I'm an extrovert and I'm going to be, you know, cheery and upbeat when that's my default mechanism. But boy, I brought it way down. I brought my vocal timbre down. I brought my pace down. There was a ton of eye contact. And in case you're wondering, I walked her over to the counseling center and um, she, I was presenting at a, I think it was a rotary meeting, probably two years after that in the community and that young lady who I didn't remember what she looked like she was at that rotary meeting and I don't even know why but she came up to me afterwards and she told me that that I saved her life which was just unbelievable but my point is I really looked at you know that circumstance and what that kind of called for so yeah if I've got an audience of you know millennial I don't know communication majors high energy people that's going to be a very different version of me than a bunch of retired you know, Rotarians, because I seem to talk to a lot of bunch of retired Rotarians. <laughs> and, and it's not that I'm being somebody I'm not. There's What I always think of it is that your, your personality and your presentation has a range. It's not a single data point on the, on the continuum. So I can dial that thing down or dial it up depending on the topic, the audience, the you know, feedback, the nonverbal feedback that I'm getting from them and all of that. Does that make sense? So in a way, you kind of want to mirror your audience. Yeah, I, I want to mirror my audience as long as I'm staying within that range that is me. So I'm not going to go outside of that for right. anyone, but I will dial it up and back. So that's just a little bit of uh, becoming self-aware, but also being aware of your audience and, and knowing how to read nonverbals. Okay. So as we were saying, the next one is utilizing your vocal tools. So you want to make sure you don't drone on using a flat monotone, you know, no variance in pitch, no variance in pace. Hopefully that's not what I do here on this podcast. I'm told that it isn't. You want to make sure that you're, you are manipulating your voice, again, within that range that is you to kind of incite interest. So you might want to kind of use a mid-range pitch so that you can go up and down. I, I tend to talk a little low. I have a little gravelly. It's called vocal fry. I tend to be a little low in my vocal uh, range, which I could work on and go a little bit higher. But that sounds really <laughs> weird when I say it like that now. So maybe I won't do that. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a little freaky. So you want to just use those vocal tools at your display at your at your disposal for emphasis and kind of variety keep them interested keep them kind of keep their attention on you don't go overly loud kind of pause after important points that you want to soak in make sure that you're speaking clearly so that they understand the words that you're saying so those are all kind of pieces of using that full range of your vocal tools the next one is injecting humor and warmth, and this one's a big one of mine, and hopefully 
you get that. I, I think I have a pretty fantastic sense of humor. I'm told I do. And so I want to make sure that I bring that into the podcast and, and make this a little bit more fun. And I'm getting great feedback from you guys that, that you're getting that. So I, I looked at a couple of uh, leaders of IMF Chief, and I don't know about IMF. I don't know the name of the, I don't know that company, but her name is Christine Lagarde. And the Facebook um, COO, Cheryl, Cheryl Sandberg, are really good examples of women who are very articulate and well-spoken, but they also know how to use humor to connect with their audience. So they, they project kind of this ease and optimism that invites listeners to kind of come into their world and it kind of establishes credibility with them. So I think that I think the humor piece is, is essential, especially if you're going to be in front of a group and you're going to speak for any length of time, you need, you need some humor. Appropriate to the audience, appropriate to your industry, your topic, that kind of thing. I think you can visibly see people relax and warm up to somebody once they inject a little bit of humor into their presentation and their speaking. A lot of times we get really caught up as an audience, I think, in listening to everything that person has to say. And like you said, when somebody has a lot of information, it can be overwhelming. But as soon as you take that pause and you inject a funny joke or a statement, it kind of wakes everybody up. And then I think it refreshes the audience, too, to kind of give them a little pause and then they can go on and still consume what you're saying without feeling overwhelmed. Absolutely. And and for me because I'm a I'm a senior um kind of leader. I you know, I've got a great deal of experience, so I'm I'm considered an expert. I like to use self-deprecating humor because I think it's very helpful for the audience to hear who was I talking to recently and they were talking about their biggest um, interview foible, and I said, I, I don't like to up anybody. I like to play the one-up game, but I'm sure I can beat you. And I told them the story about the time that I was in an interview for the now-defunct Eckerd Drug Company. I was <laughs> I was uh, in an interview for area training coordinator. was up in the Atlanta area. And I wore, I, I used the bad judgment to wear Lee press-on nails to this interview, which was bad enough, but then I popped one off and it went sailing across the room in the middle of the interview. Oh, no. Still, this was not the bad. The bad news was that I got down on hands and knees and went looking for it. And when the guy's like, what What are you doing? I, I said nothing. Like, of course, because who doesn't just go down on the floor and <laughs> on all four and just start crawling around during an interview for no reason, right? Clearly. And I, I have no idea what got into me. I'm going to claim some sort of mental temp, temporary insanity or something. And I got the job. I don't even understand that at all. <laughs> but it was it was quite funny. So I like to give those kind of stories so that people see that the persona that I have now and kind of that level of expertise it wasn't always that way. <laughs> I, I put my pants on one leg at a time, just like you guys do, for sure. Good to know. <laughs> All right, two more. Stand like a champion. Giving presentations and making speeches is very physical. So you want to make sure that when you're standing in front of a group of people, you use the champion stance. So picture this in your head, or you can do it if you don't, not if you're driving, but if you can do this. Position one foot in front of the other. Place your weight on the back foot. Hold your head up. Drop your shoulders back and then lean your torso slightly forward and smile. I know that sounds like a lot of stuff at once, but that would be something you would want to practice ahead of time so that you got good at it. And one of the things I like to do, and this is what I would teach my students when I was in higher education, is to put your hands in front of you 
in like a pyramid shape facing out. Because here's what I see a lot of young women doing. They would stand up in front of a group of people and they would do what I call the, I got a potty stance. So, oh my God, right? that's hilarious. And men didn't do this. Men would put their hands in their pockets, which is bad. Okay, because I want you to picture guy in pants. There's change in his pants. He starts playing. You know what it looks like, all right? Okay, yeah. So the women's version of that is they put their hands in front of their, their private parts and it looks like I got to go wee-wee. So neither of those things engenders confidence and authority. <laughs> so you put your hands kind of in a pyramid shape with the, the tip of the pyramid, which is your fingertips, facing out towards the audience. And you are kind of got this at arms, um, uh, at 90 like your elbows at 90 degree angle. That's a very powerful uh, stance. And then from there, you can gesture or do whatever you need to do. It's kind of a neutral stopping point for your for your position. Oh, the other thing I want to say about the the position, you know, if you have your hands behind your back or, or you're doing something like that, it can really affect your outfit. Like it can, if you've got a button down shirt, it can cause your shirt to, to gape open. It can do some really nasty things. So you want to just avoid that. So and then finally, sit with your elbows on the table. And this is specifically for the women. So we've been taught don't ever have your elbows on the table. And it is a very subservient position if you have your hands in your lap or up on the table like you're, I don't know, going to have tea soon or something. So you want to have your forearms on the table when you're having a conversation. That's a very powerful stance. Um, and this is something that, again, I would teach my students to do this at because I taught dining etiquette. And I would teach them when there's no food at the table in between courses, put your hands, your forearms up on the table and have that conversation. Um, and then you want to also maintain eye contact with your speakers or if you're on camera maintain your eye contact so I don't know if you have any final words to say here I just really enjoy all these tips and now that you're saying them and putting them out there it's easy to look back on other speakers that I've seen um, think about videos that I've watched where I see people utilizing these techniques. When you talked about the hand positioning, I was doing it and I was like, <laughs> you know, this feels a little bit awkward, but it was like a light bulb went off in my head and I was like, I have seen this before. Mm -hmm. And you know what? It works. It does exude that confidence and it's so much better than, you know, maybe sometimes having your hands on your hips is a little bit too aggressive. Maybe mm -hmm. you'll use that stance to um, for some emphasis right. on a certain part of when you're speaking. But I really love these tips, and one of the most important things is communication nowadays. I think some people have either not really been formally taught what the best way to communicate and speak is, but it makes an impact, and people are looking at our visual cues they're listening, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously, we do notice those little inflections that people have and the awkward pauses versus the planned, <laughs> the planned pauses. Right, exactly, exactly. And as I said earlier, I've got an episode coming out with my friend Jane Springer in March where we specifically talk about dressing as a leader. So I don't want to go into that now. I just want to say that your outfit is a big piece of this. So whether you're speaking, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, maybe you're trying to do a sales uh, transaction with a potential customer or you're in front of a small or large group, your outfit says a lot about you. And so we're going to go into that as, as part of this as well. And I think my only other question would really be, what would you say is the best way to start implementing these? Because we talked about so oh, much yeah, great good, information good today. Yeah. I don't want everybody <laughs> to think we got to run out there and remember every single thing. Right. I think one big thing with our age group as far as being professionals, jumping into entrepreneurial uh, venues and things like that, is that 
we can really take a hit with self-confidence mm -hmm. and we can be really, really hard on ourselves. So how can we implement these things, make ourselves look professional and not beat ourselves up when we don't get it right the first yes, time? Yes, yes. Okay, so I would pick one of these things. So I've given you, I don't know how many tips as the day has, has gone on, but pick one that either you feel like there's the most room to move the needle or it's an area that, given your specific situation, is the most important to you. So maybe, for example, maybe you're a really good storyteller, but that's so critical to your job that you want to, like, take it over the top. So you're going to maybe even take a class where you, uh, or take an online course or, or get some kind of study in where you learn how to really perfect that. So think about, of all of these things, where's the, where's the biggest potential for payoff for me and my business and my world? and my profession and then uh, tackle that one. And then if you want to come back after a while and get another one, uh, but hopefully you can at least start with one good one and really get that needle moved. That sounds great. So guys, thank you so much today. I love doing this podcast with you guys. If you didn't hear the scoop recently, this was named a top 10 job search podcast by JobScan, which I am super, I know, super excited about it. And uh, I intend to keep doing this because I love it so much. So I always want to be your career coach. So be sure and, Leave a question. You can always email me at Lisa, that's L-E-S-A, at ExclusiveCareerCoaching.com. You can visit my brand new gorgeous website, Exclusive Career Coaching. It is beautiful. And uh, I will see you next week. Rate, review, and subscribe. Bye. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach, so be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.